to celebrate Christmas. Don't panic. <laughs> you haven't been in a coma for six months. Don't panic because you're wondering where all the gifts are. You haven't got them for your children and grandchildren yet. Do, I'm going to give you the, the Aaron Rodgers relax. R-E-L-A-X. We're going to focus on the majesty of the Christmas story today. Not the Bing Crosby kind. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, nor than that King Cole kind, chestnuts roasting on an open fire, or the, <laughs> or the Christmas shopping kind that begins before Halloween and the glorious decorations, the Hallmark movie kind, the Jingle Bell Santa kind, and not even the real Christmas story that's listed in Matthew and Luke. We'll not, not just talk about the manger, not the magi, not just the wee three kings of Orion are, or the special star of Christmas. These are important. They're vital. But they just tell of the beginning of the incarnation of God. In today's text, we're going to use as our main text. It's Philippians 2, 5 through 11. And Paul gives us the completed Christmas story of the incarnation, and he gives us the pattern for exaltation. And it was given as a model as Jesus modeled it for us. But it's also a clue to how we can be victorious in a fallen world and how if we follow the example of Jesus and his principles, we will be humble and we will serve and then God will exalt us. Now this chorus that we're about to sing, you've sung a hundred times. And it really sums up the Christmas reality from today's text. But man, I'm tired of doing all this singing alone. I want you to join in as well. Can anybody come help me sing this song? <laughs> My buddy Cruz showed up. How about that? All right, why don't you stand and join us? Lord, I lift your name on high. Love to sing your praises. I'm so glad you're in my life. I'm so glad you came to save us. You came from heaven to earth to show the way from the earth. I want to invite you guys to sing this chorus along with us one more time and sing. You came from heaven to earth to show the way from the earth to the cross. My death to pay from the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky. Lord, I lift your name on high. Give the Lord a hand. Oh, you can sit down. See, without Jesus' humility and service and redemption and death and burial and resurrection and ascension, the Christmas story of the manger is really incomplete. Without all those things that this text talks about, we wouldn't have a Lord because he wouldn't have proved he was God by raising from the dead. There would be no name lifted on high. It would just be a historical 
of note in all of history. But this morning, we're looking at our Hidden Hope series. We're looking at the hope that comes from the introduction of our Core 52 lesson this week that talks about the Son of Man. So we're gonna, today, we're going to look at the divine paradox of how can you be God and man all at once? We're going to look at the spiritual implication of incarnation. And we're going to look at the spiritual law of exaltation. And if you get that, if you get this by the end of the message, it'll rock your world. It'll change your world. Because you'll know the true heart and meaning of the incarnation. How could Jesus be the Son of Man? That's a divine paradox. Today's question was, well, could Jesus be fully human and fully divine? Mark Moore said, yes. I say yes. What do you say? Yes, absolutely. In Core 52 Lesson this week, Mark Moore pointed out that the term Son of Man was found 107 times in the Old Testament. 93 of them alone in Ezekiel. Now, if you want to know what it was like to be on LSD, read the book of Ezekiel. And I don't mean, I do not mean any disrespect in that. But it was apocalyptic literature. It was showing God's judgment on his people for falling away. And that's why he carried them off into Babylon. But the Ezekiel and all the prophets are really a message of God's grace and his faithfulness to his people and to his word. We must obey the speakings and the word and the truths of God. And his divine judgment came on them. But it was for their own good. And his promise of Jesus, his promise of the coming Messiah was being placed forth. Even though Israel killed most of the prophets. And they hated that message. Because they didn't believe that Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living God. Mark Moore lists several texts in his to make his point, the term son of man has been used in the Bible as man, for man, as well as for God. It's just a term of humility, and it's a term of humanity. In the New Testament, son of man shows up 85 times, mostly in the Gospels, and all but one is about Jesus being said about Jesus. So Mark Moore pointed out in our book this week. This became the ongoing controversy between the Jewish rabbis of how could God be in a human form and still be God. Now, our memory work for this week was Daniel 7, 13, because it's going to bring forth the title, the Son of Man. And if you remember, the Son of Man was Jesus' favorite term for himself because it really encapsulated his ministry and his mission. But the background of Daniel 7, 13 was judgment. The people had been carried off into Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar is reigning. In Daniel 3, you remember the story. They had built this huge statue, and everybody had to bow down for it when they heard the music. And then when they heard the music, if they didn't bow down, they'd be thrown into the fiery furnace. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego threw in the furnace. They heated it seven times. But also, king looked in, and he saw someone that appeared as the Son of God. I believe that was a pre-incarnate uh, uh, form of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. 
And then before Daniel 7, you have Daniel 6, and that's the story of Daniel and the lion's den. There was a decree that went out, and that praying to another god was you'd be thrown into the lion's den. And Daniel was. But the cool part about it, when you're in God's favor, when you're in God's will, he just calmed the lions. And Daniel was sleeping, right? His most glorious night's sleep. It wasn't on one of them fancy beds. It was on a bed of lions that God conquered and quieted. But Daniel 7, he's talking about, is this weird, weird dream that Daniel's trying to interpret and had. And it's about Daniel's vision of the four beasts because they're representing four kingdoms of this world. First, there was a lion with wings of eagles, and that was representing Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, which was conquering the world at that time. But then he saw a bear with three ribs in his mouth, and that's representing Persia, who would conquer Babylon. And the three ribs in his mouth are representing Babylon and Lydia and Egypt, the nations that Persia would conquer. And then he saw a leopard with four heads. That's why I said it's, it's a weird book. A leopard with four heads and four bird-like wings with bronze claws. And that was representing Greece, which is going to take over the world. And then the four divisions of, of the kingdom that would follow, because Alexander's general would fight for, for, for dominance and, and in that time. And, and they were representing those four divisions. But the fourth beast had bronze claws and large iron feet and ten horns. That's representing Rome, of which we find conquering the world at Jesus' time when he entered as a babe in Bethlehem. But each of these beasts is representing, coming up out of the seas, representing terror on mankind. And it's representing chaos that life without God and obedience to God brings. And that's what brings us to the core text of our study this week. What could God do to restore peace from world conquest and world chaos? And I want you to remember, this is going to be the key to your peace. This is the key to my peace. This is key to peace in America. This is key to peace around the world. Daniel 7, 13 and 14. In my vision at night, I looked. And there before for me was one like the Son of Man. That's Jesus. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority and glory and sovereign power. All the nations and people of every language worshipped him. This is a vision he's seeing into the end of the age. His dominion is everlasting. It's an everlasting dominion that will never perish. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Can you say amen? He's talking about the kingdom of God. He's talking about the church. He's talking about the word. He's talking about you. He's talking about me. When the son of man comes, there's going to bring a whole new reign. It's going to be the reign of God in the world. Clearly, this is messianic because it pointed to Jesus' solution to mankind's chaos. Jesus is the solution to your chaos, because I know he was a solution to mine. So how could a man fulfill this divine role that he's talking about? To be son of man and be son of God as well. Well, aha, he had to be the son of man. 
He had to be a man to fulfill this glorious role that God had given Jesus. Yeah, it's a conundrum. Yeah, it's a paradox. One writer said, Jesus' humanity is worth our slow meditation, endless marveling, and continuous modeling. Can you say amen to that? Endless humility, slow meditation, and don't ever forget the marvel of the salvation you have in Jesus Christ, purchased by his blood. Let's look, slowly meditate and marvel this morning for a few minutes on the spiritual implication of the incarnation. Let's read the text that we've already sung. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. Oh, boy. It's tough, doesn't it? Talking to every one of us. Talking to you is especially talking to me. Believers, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ as you live in this world. That's the standard. Not church going, although church go. if you know the standard, you'll be in church. Who being very nature God, notice that word nature, we're going to talk about it, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, son of man. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. And here's where at the end we're going to get excited. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that's above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can you say amen? Jesus was the son of man and he proved it. He proved it as his role as Savior. He, he came. He left the glories of heaven and he came to earth as Emmanuel, God with us. How on earth will we know how to live? How on earth will we know how to meet that divine standard if we never saw Jesus, if he wasn't the son of man? He came as Emmanuel to seek and save that which is lost, which is us. He became the Lamb of God that would die and offer his body as a ransom for us. In the first Adam, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Man, you, if you didn't miss a men's rally, you missed something wonderful with Jeff Walling this week. Because he was telling us that sin causes separation from God. And we all know that. But what he was, he plotted through the whole Old Testament and New Testament that only God can close that gap. See, sometimes in religion, we try to close it by the things we do, and we get all boogered up and confused about the glory of what God has done for us. God takes the, the first step by sending the, the prophets to call us back into obedience. And then he sent his son, the full radiance of his glory as the son of man, to be that perfect example then he's given us the written word to follow, and he's given us the promise of heaven. See, sin makes us guilty, and it separates us from God, and it requires punishment. We deserve death, but it also makes us sick. We start to crave 
the things of the world as if they're something wonderful. And we die spiritually. And the more we die spiritually, the more we crave the pleasures of the flesh. But through Jesus' death on the cross, he became our high priest. He's, at, he's my high priest. He's your high priest. And he sacrificed himself to meet the requirements that a sinless sacrifice had to be made to solve God's justice. So how can Jesus be the exalted son of man who humbles himself on a human plane, yet is the Messiah all in one? Well, in Philippians 2, we find it. We gaze, we've been gazing on the aspects of his incarnation. The Lord Jesus Christ willingly abandoned his sovereign position. He abandoned the glory of heaven, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Jesus is absolutely God in his essence and in his being. He always has been, he always will be, even when he took on flesh and came to earth. That's the basis of our faith. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in the end, John 14, he says, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from heaven full of grace and truth. He had to come so he could see the glory of the Father. And in the Greek, the word morph means nature, form. It has to do with a deep inner essential, an abiding nature of something. It's not the external, it's the internal. Jesus internally as the Son of Man was fully God, yet in his incarnation he became fully man. Jesus being in the morph, the form and nature of God that is in his deepest inner man and nature, he was always and will be God. That's cool. Consequently, at the end of verse 6, he did not think it was something to be grasped, to be equal with God. What the heck's that mean? Jesus and God in his inner nature was, was so much so that he didn't have to seek it and he didn't have to fear that he'd lose it by taking on the form of man because he was God in the flesh. He was the Logos, the Word of God. But then this verse 7 says, but he made himself nothing. The Greek says he emptied himself. The word kino, which comes from the theological term kenosis, which means a self-emptying. He emptied himself. The verb means to pour out everything until it's gone. He poured out himself. How? How would a sovereign God lay aside his glory to be born of a babe in swaddling clothes? I mean, can you imagine that? I can't even fathom that. How God, being God all the time, would force himself to leave the glories of heaven and earth and come to earth, force himself, allow himself, purging himself of his divine glory, but not his divine essence, to become a babe in swaddling clothes. How degrading. And you know what babes do in swaddling clothes. Imagine God 
being humble enough to take on the form of man. He laid aside his glory. He abandoned his glory for you. He abandoned his glory for me. He gave up the manifestation of his glory. He gave up the radiance of his eternal shine and brightness, the full manifestation of all the attributes of his glory. That's why in John 17, 5, he says, And now, Father, glorify me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. What he's saying is, I want my glory back, which I once had, which means he didn't have it at that time. Because he became a man. He emptied himself of, of that essence of his divine presence. He veiled his glory in human flesh. He set aside the full expression of his glory for you. You have a God that's so willing and so enthralled to have a relationship with you that he, even though he was sovereign, even though he was God almighty, he allowed himself to take on the form of a man to put on flesh for you. He also not only abandoned his riches, he abandoned uh, glory, he abandoned his riches. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, he who was rich for our sakes, what? Became poor, that we through his poverty might become rich. Oh, if you know Jesus, I mean really know him, you're rich. You're rich like he was from the inside out. And he did that for you. Gave up glory and riches for you, Jack. Gave up glory for us. He accepted a servant's place, verse 7. He took upon him the form of a servant. That morph, he morphed into a form of a servant. And the ultimate act of service is when he died on the cross to save sinners just like you and me. He became obedient to death, verse 8 says. Death on a cross. That's how he was serving the Father. His Father invited him to come into the world as a servant to work out the plan of redemption. And he willingly became a servant to do that for you. So he, he willingly abandoned his sovereign position. I mean, he was sovereign. He was over everything. But he laid that aside that we could come into a relationship with God. He did that for Dale. He did that for, for you. He did that for Michael and Holly and Heidi and Tim and Christy and Kendra and Lance and all y'all. That's Southern. That's all y'all. He did that for you. He emptied out all those things, and yet he continued to be God. It wasn't that he lost any of his divine attributes. That's true. He was fully man and fully God. He chose not to use them for a season so he could go to the cross and die for you. Jesus is the man. He's the son of man, but he's the man of the universe. He was God, yet he gave up his privileges for you. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he didn't. He just kept emptying himself of all the glory that he had in heaven. The Son of Man is just a title of humility and humanity. Verse 7 says he was made in the likeness of men and found in the appearance of a man. 
That's that Latin, incarnate, incarnation, in the flesh, to be made fully flesh. That was the only way it could be done. He had to become a man. Ben Adam, the son of man. He didn't drop into our world like Mork from Mork, Nanu Nanu. He didn't come in, he didn't come in as an Avenger superhero. He was born to a Jewish mother in the flesh. He was born in Bethlehem, lived in Nazareth, ate and got dressed, learned, worked like you, and he ate like you, but he was made fully God, fully man. So he abandoned the sovereign position. He took on a servant's place. He approached the sinful people. He became one of us for you. He had everything that all men, that all men had except for sin. He was holy. He was spotless. He was the Lamb of God. And I love that. He wanted to see what we were up against. We messed it up. God had to send a Savior. He wanted to know that we were up against. He knows what your struggle is. He's seen people struggle. He knows what this sinful world, how ugly and putrid it can become. He was the Lamb of God. He would be the propitiation, the sacrifice that would take away God's wrath from us. Sin has to be punished, friends, but it's been relieved from us by the blood of Jesus Christ. Verse 8 said he became obedient unto death. His act of, of dying on the cross was obedience. He died horribly in verse 8, even death on a cross. The most amazing, agonizing, humiliating death ever known to man, he did that for you. And I'm not going into any dissertation about how agonizing that was. You've seen the passion. Jesus had to do this to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He had to be human yet sinless, proving his divinity. Jesus is us the last Adam, full of humanity, that, he could be, that we could be reconciled back to God. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 says, Jesus was born of a woman, born under the law, in order to live out obedience on behalf of those oppressed by the law. Only one who is truly human can die in the place of sinful humans. Jesus left the glory of heaven for you and for me. And he became our example. 1 Peter 2.21 says, For to do this you have been called, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you may follow in his steps. So there is going to be a great challenge for us. If we choose to follow Jesus because we believe he's the Lamb of God, the Holy One from God, fully human, fully divine for our benefit, then we must have the same mindset as Jesus and initiate his obedience to God in our life. That brings us to the implication of the law of expect, uh, exaltation. Because of all that we just said, listen, verse 9 and 11 again. Therefore, that's why you know he's talking about in the past, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Remember that. Don't think the world's getting away with anything. Don't think the crazies in Hollywood or the liberals in their, their generation, that they're getting away from everything. 
every knee is going to bow. He says, and, and, and had that name. And at the name of Jesus, uh, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of, his, of the Father. His humility was his pathway to exaltation by God. When God saw that Jesus fully obeyed his command and his mission on earth to die for us, then he was exalted. He gave him a name that's above all names, and that all that name, every knee will bow. And that's kind of a model of how we need to follow him, dying to self, living for him, living under the lordship of God is the pathway to greatness. God wants us to be great following the line of Judah in a lost and dying world. The big idea this morning is if we, hum if we are humble and obedient, God will exalt us as well. But not the way the world exalts. Not through fame and riches and influence and popularity. Not through our degrees, but in our humble service to God and our humble service to mankind. Now, the challenging thought is this. So if you want to leave, get up and go now. But it's on tape. It's in God's word. So it's, you're still accountable. If I have the mind of Christ, I will serve others, counting them more important than myself. And God will exalt me. That's scary challenging but i think we're up to the challenge jesus was matthew 23 12 says whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted to be exalted by god means to be had to be humble enough to accept jesus as lord and follow his truth and if you do that in this age you're going to be mocked you're going to be persecuted you're going to be eviscerated for following and speaking his name and that's a-okay with me. Those who are mocking, persecuting, eviscerate you, they're ignorant. They need your Jesus. Serve them as better than yourself. Be Jesus to them. If you have to, men... Start with your wives and children. Serve them better than yourself. Ladies, to your husbands, love them. Serve them better than you treat yourself. Your neighbors, even the ones you don't like, when their dog barks all night long, love them and serve them. See, Jesus taught us being exalted is better than anything that we could accomplish on our own. Jesus says, follow my example. Humble yourself and watch God exalt you. I want to see in this beautiful Christmas story that Jesus lays out is really the fruit of the Holy Spirit that works in us. 
to learn to follow Jesus' examples and serve God and serve others. Jesus was the exalt, exalted because he was obedient in service. Jesus Christ is Lord, whether you believe it or not. He's Lord. He always has been. He always will be. But for 33 years, he humbled himself and took on the form of man to show us the way. If your world is a mess this morning because you know him not, you obey him not, you serve him not, and you love him not, just know that your world's probably going to start going down the tubes at some point. You may ride high for 30 years, but at some point this world cannot solve your misery. Only Jesus can. But if you're in Christ and you're going through a tough time now, know that God's working out his beautiful plan of exalting you as you Serve and love God in difficulty and serve and love others. That's how people will be one to Jesus Christ. Do it today before it's too late. If you need to come this morning, confess Jesus as Lord and be baptized, do it today. Because at some point in this world, some point down the road, God's going to have every knee bow and every tongue to confess that he's Lord. He will exalt your existence in this fallen world, and he can exalt you to spiritual grace, spiritual greatness, if you follow his pattern. Scriptures to ponder as we close, Luke 9, 23 and 24. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. John the Baptist would utter these words after he saw the glories of Jesus' ministry. And he saw some of his disciples start following Jesus. In John 3.30, he says, he must become greater and I must become less. In Galatians 2.20, the Bible says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So this morning, Christ Church, I say, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Jesus has come in the flesh. He's come to live and exalt you to a great life. Now we know what the term son of man is. Don't panic. You still got 236 days to get ready for Christmas. But God wants you to live an exalted life in him. Can we say amen? Lord, we love you and we thank you for this time we've had together.